You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 5720 Ridge Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. We've been talking about how to follow Jesus in our context, in the Philadelphia region, in our spheres of influence. It's the question we've been trying to answer in the last couple weeks. We want to bring the gospel to the present with great flexibility to this unique time and place. Last week, Robbie was talking about following Jesus in an age of mistrust, where capitalism and Christianity get mixed up together, and we sort of we have to sort out what's leading us. We do have to consider what is leading us, especially if we say we are Jesus followers. We can't be led around by other things. But we are hard-pressed on every side, it seems, by other influences that can derail us. At every stage of life, or every season, we kind of have to organize and reorganize internally and externally who we are and what we're doing. So the question I have been considering for tonight is, how do we follow Jesus for life? What enables someone to do this for the long haul? Uh, Rachel, one of our pastors, did a series on following Jesus through the 20s, 30s, 40s. Each one of those is a season, is a sermon in and of itself. So I'm not going to try to be that specific. I hope you'll take what I say, um, or more importantly, what God is saying to you, and apply it to your unique stage of life. And maybe you can say more about that at the end when there's time for talk back. Nothing in life is, nothing is for life anymore. Everything is temporary. We move more than we did in the past. We change jobs and careers more than we did in the past. People don't stay married as long as they used to. Major life changes. Uh, Making major life changes is kind of easy to do. In some cases, necessary even. But it's so normal that we might not even feel like we can keep up with our own lives. We do very little for more than a season at any given time. It's hard to be a Christ follower through major life changes. It takes a consciousness and an intentionality and action to do it. I use the term Christ follower uh, for a reason because it involves action. You might call yourself a Christian for the rest of your life, but That means a lot of things to a lot of different people these days. To be a Christ follower implies some action on your part. It names you as a follower and identifies who leads you. In an environment where more and more people are claiming no religion at all, it's hard to keep following Jesus. And in Circle of Hope, we're serious Christians. It's about more than just what you believe or feel. It's a matter of what you do and who you are and who we are.
you ever noticed that you tend, uh, that what you did to tend to your life of faith in the past doesn't work for you anymore? Uh, if it's, if, if you had been, if you've been at this for a while, um, you've no doubt recognized that what was meaningful and life-giving at one point isn't sustainable in the same way, or it doesn't move you in the way that it used to. Life changes. We change. Our faith needs to change, too. If you find yourself losing interest or desire or capacity or energy, you may feel like you've hit a wall. There's a book called Saying Yes to God by Tim, Timothy Geoffrion uh, that a number of us have been reading across the church. And he talks about this common experience of hitting a wall in our spiritual lives. His take is that it is actually a sign that we're ready for a new stage of growth. Rather than seeing it as an indication of a problem, it's an invitation to acknowledge your limitations and to listen to God in a new way, at a new depth. It's about investing what we've got and letting God move. If you feel like you are in that stage, great. Hopefully this talk tonight will encourage you. Um, if you are not sure what to do next, maybe something from the story from Jesus will help. But if you can't find yourself at all, that's okay too. You don't have to force yourself into this talk or even into this Bible passage that I'm about to read. Jesus kind of addresses this lifelong faith struggle in his end times discourse in Matthew. Matthew is a gospel written to lifelong Jews who are undergoing a huge change in philosophy with Jesus' death and resurrection, reorienting their faith. If you struggle to keep your faith, you might have a friend in these Jewish people who, whose whole world gets flipped, flipped upside down. Let's read the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, 14-30. Is anyone willing to read for us? Thanks, Phil. For it is as if a man going on a journey summoned his slaves and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. The one who had received the five talents went off at once and traded with them, and made five more talents. In the same way, the one who had the two talents made two more talents. But the one who had received the one talent went off and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Then the one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one with two talents also came forward, saying, Master, you handed over to me two talents. See, I have made two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. 
But the one who had received the one talent also came forward, saying, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master replied, You wicked and lazy slave. You knew, did you, that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I did not scatter? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and on my return, I would have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one with ten talents. For to all who, uh, or to all those who have, more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness, where the where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Thanks, Tom. This parable actually appears in Luke 19, too, and at least an allusion to it is in Mark 13. Luke uses some different imagery than Matthew, but generally they're telling the same story with the same purpose. The basic story is simply a wealthy man who owns slaves and trusts them to a portion of his kingdom of wealth while he goes off on a trip. He issues the talents to the servants based on their own ability to handle the gift. The word talent is used in our English translations, but the Greek word for talent here is a measure of weight. So the talent is gold, like 75 pounds. That's a lot of gold. It's a huge sum of money. So it really means money, but somehow uh, it's become to mean in our understanding of one's ability. So I'm making the distinction that talents have, represent responsibility uh, and an amount of responsibility, not one's ability. So the man invests in his slaves and they make a return on the investment. The first slave returns the five talents plus five more. The second one does the same with his two. The master tells them, well done, and he puts them in charge of more. Maybe you feel like they should be freed from slavery, but in this <coughs> analogy, the work they're doing is for the kingdom. And one doesn't ever really retire from the work of the kingdom. I just want to note that the first two slaves are rewarded with the opportunity for more service and more capacity. And they are included in celebration with the master. This still might feel hard to relate to, but in Circle of Hope, we often reward people who are diligent with more responsibility. If you start showing up and doing the work, someone's gonna ask you to leave. God is honored in that investment. And I think it takes some trust in God to be able to receive the responsibility. And taking responsibility is always an opportunity to work out our trust in God because we're always doing something big enough that requires God. You could ask any leader in Circle of Hope how their faith and their trust is deepened in working out the responsibility to lead. You will probably get a good story. 
But the one to whom the least is entrusted buries it into the ground and simply returns to the master what he was originally given. He doesn't have anything else to show for it. The man is ruled by his fear. He's afraid of disappointing his shrewd manager, his leader. He's, he was entrusted with the resources and rather than trying and failing, he simply buries it. He's afraid of the master and the master doesn't offer any sympathy. Subsequently, the man is damned. One way to read this is, could be that the servant doesn't even know the master. He reveals his perception outright when he says this to the master, that he's a harsh man who lives off of everyone else and just wants to get the most out of his servant for his own benefit. And perhaps because that is what he believes, that is the master he serves. There is no sympathy. He is damned apart from this kingdom. It's notable to me that the other two uh, didn't seem, don't seem to have this perception of the master. They take this massive wealth that they've been entrusted with and they go to make something more with it. When they return, what they return with is enough to be entrusted with more. They are met with grace, and they get to be included in the celebration with the master. It seems that the master they are responding to is entirely different. To the one who buried the treasure, uh, he, he lives in fear of a master who's harsh and demanding and inflexible. To that, the master even says, giving it to a money lender would have been better than trying to bury it. But he, the man showed his disrespect for the master by not doing anything. The master takes a single talent from the man and gives it to the one who has 10. Because people that show that they take responsibility with what they've been given are given even more. Now, this parable uses economic language to describe service to God, but it's not talking about economic investments. It's not a capitalist story, and it really can't be. Um, Matthew's use of this parable is, is part of three stories about judgment at the end of the age. And in the very next parable, service is even more explicitly Compared, That's where Jesus speaks about serving the least of the brothers and sisters. So the master rebukes the slave who simply sat on it. If you think God is a harsh master, you will likely hear that rebuke. If you consider the gift that God gave you, the investment that God put into you in Jesus, you may see your role in part of the kingdom work to invest and grow in what God is doing. Some of us are anxious about not producing enough. Some of us are tired of working. Maybe you're afraid of whatever you can, that whatever you can do at this stage of your life is not enough. 
I just have three thoughts from this parable that can help us to follow Jesus for life, for the long haul. Um, trying these things might help if you get stuck at a wall. Like the master suggested, you could just do the basics. You could invest your money in the bank if that's all you can do. For us, that might mean just to keep showing up. Keep holding your agreements. I don't know if you have to even do it enthusiastically like you love it all the time, but just do the basics. Keep being present. You aren't responsible for what kind of return you get. Just keep investing. Your faithfulness may be rewarded with sharing in the master's joy. The second thing is, as you grow and develop, allow your faith to grow. The faith that you had two years ago, or five or ten, depending, needs to be different now because you are different. You can grow and get better. You can move with Jesus and move with the Spirit. Move with the work of the church. One way to keep faith alive through different stages and different life circumstances is to stay in prayer. Continue to read and study the Bible and other good books. I can lend you my luminous web if you like. Uh, stay in community. Keep talking to yourself and the people around you. Just see what happens when you try to multiply the investments that God has given you. Try something new. Lindsay was just telling me about what it's like to start a new cell and how it stretches her out of what was comfortable. Ask her to tell you about all the good that's already multiplying. Um, if you've been doing something and it seems stale and boring, try to do something new. Join a team or form one about something you're passionate about. Take a day without your cell phone, or at least without social media. See what happens if you invest in silence and prayer. You will need new disciplines to carry you through different seasons. And finally, consider who the master is. Don't just use this story to figure it out. You can explore the whole Bible. Use the Circle of Hope daily prayer. We have new entries every day. Dialogue with others. If you see God as a harsh master, you may assume that you haven't invested enough. But this story isn't just about which person are you. It's an illustration of a bigger point. And it's a parable, so it can be taken many different ways. I think that part of the point is that we have this time and this wealth of God's kingdom given to us in Jesus, and we get to do something with it. We have agency and responsibility here. You've made it this far, uh, and there's no reason to criticize yourself for not making more of an investment. You're working it out. We are working it out. You're here. So thanks for being faithful. It doesn't. It really doesn't go unnoticed. Uh, maybe you need to give yourself a break. 
And for the rest of us, let's share in the joy and affirm each other for the work that we are doing. I think that you have something special. So hold that, let it be known. There is a cost to following Jesus and burying your treasure, not letting it out. So make an investment. Try to make a disciple. Try to reproduce yourself. You are an investment that God has made. And you show God to the world, so don't hide. You are worth sharing. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.